Hey folks, another busy week of politically charged legal news making the headlines. This week, the Senate will hold former President Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. The Trump legal team has filed a brief with the Senate. And let's just say there are some interesting arguments in there. Also, technology company Smartmatic is suing Fox News for defamation over their coverage of the company's involvement in the 2020 presidential election. Ann Milgram and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. College students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student and sign up at a lower rate. Again, that's cafe.com slash student. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. So, Preet, we got an email also from Peter who wrote, Jamie Raskin wrote Trump saying he would advocate to the Senate that an adverse inference should be drawn from failure to testify. Since Trump is still subject to criminal investigation, how is this so? Does the Fifth Amendment apply at all? Thanks. So that's an interesting question. And it's funny because, not funny, but interesting. Because when when I first heard that the House managers might try to make some argument, not just that there should be an adverse inference, but that they would argue directly and affirmatively that Trump's failure to testify was evidence of guilt. You know, so, so I did some twitching because of my, my my training and the background. And and as you and I both know, the idea that in a criminal trial, and of course this is not that, but my instinct was to you know stiffen up when I heard that argument. In a criminal trial, if a prosecutor stood up and made a statement about the failure to testify and how that supports a finding of guilt, what would happen to that prosecutor? Yes, the prosecutor would be, be shot. I think big be shot. trouble. Big <laughs> trouble. <laughs> be shot by the marshal. And the case would likely be be overturned. The a mistrial. A mistrial. Probably. Yeah, it would be a mistrial, and the, the case. I mean, that's would have how to be serious retried. it is. That's how serious it is in our system that the presumption of innocence remains, and that the burden of proof remains on the government, on the prosecution. But this is not that. It still feels a little funny to me because it seems like, and people talk about it like a criminal trial, but. It's not a criminal trial. It's not a civil trial either. So all this is fair game, no? So, yes, it is fair game. But here's what I would have preferred. One of the things I think that the House impeachment managers are going to have to do is say, here's this mountain of evidence. Here are the videos. Here are the words. Here are all the ways in which you know that Donald Trump did what we said he did from the date of the November election through January 6th. And it all culminated in this insurrection on January 6th. And... They have to go through and reject his defenses one by one. One of the issues here is it is not clear how Trump and his lawyers are going to get his defenses into evidence. And so, again, in a normal trial, the defense has, if they want to make an argument about something, they it can't just be the lawyers making arguments. They have to have either documents or witness statements or transcripts or videos. They have to have their own evidence. And so here, what I think... Raskin was doing and the Democratic House managers were doing is, okay, this is what you say. You claim your intent that this was all about election security. You know what? Show up. Like, you show up. If And, and also remember, Raskin did this after the first brief. The defense lawyers have now filed two briefs. In the first brief, they argue the big lie. And we'll talk about that, I know, in a little bit, probably. But they argue that Trump believed that it was true that he'd won the 2020 election. And so Raskin is saying, 
a little bit of the, we have a lot of questions we want to ask you actually about your intent. Please come, right? And and in some ways, I think, I think that's what they were trying to do. Again, you and I are former prosecutors. It felt strange to me. I mean, I think Trump has a right to not testify here. And so it did feel a little bit more like gamesmanship than about actual evidence. But again, I understand this is a political process. It's the United States Senate. And they arguably could also subpoena him to get his testimony. Again, remember, he could take the Fifth Amendment because he could argue that there are that there is a potential that he could be charged with insurrection as a criminal matter. But in terms of this moment in time, the Fifth Amendment doesn't apply to to this proceeding because he's not facing incarceration. There's you don't have a right against incrim- you have a right to, against incrimination in the context of a criminal case. This isn't a criminal case. But again, he could certainly take the Fifth Amendment because there's still outstanding investigations and he could be charged. Right. But the other interesting thing is here, we keep talking about his right to invoke the Fifth Amendment or not, but he hasn't done it. And so some people are speculating that that part of the ploy here on the part of the House managers and Jamie Raskin was to say, we want you to come testify and to deny uh, that request, you would have to invoke the Fifth Amendment, which would look bad, which would be politically damaging. That invocation, by the way, I think Donald Trump has said in the past is something that only criminals and mobsters do. So I don't know if it was a, you know a gambit to try to get him to invoke the Fifth Amendment, which would have had its own implications. By the way, further to what you said a second ago, Ann, I think it bears quoting from one of the president's lawyer's briefs, this idea that the president was simply stating an opinion about the election, and you can't know if it was false or not. (laughs) They write, quote, insufficient evidence exists upon which a reasonable jurist could conclude that the 45th president's statements were accurate or not and he therefore denies they were false, end quote. That's pretty convoluted. That's quite I guess a you could sentence. also write, insufficient evidence exists upon which a reasonable jurist could conclude that the moon is made of green cheese, <laughs> right? Or, or any and one so of these other questions. so therefore we deny it's false. Yeah, or, exactly. or, and we'll get yeah. to, maybe we'll get to her later, maybe not. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene, insufficient evidence exists that a plane hit the Pentagon on 9-11. You know, I guess you could say that about any factual assertion in the history of the world, Uh, to try to get out of trouble here. But that's the level of argument that they're engaging in with respect to the big lie, because there's not much they can do about it. Yes. So let's talk about this. There's there's so much to say about this part of their first brief. First of all, that sentence is Trump's lawyers trying not to argue the big lie in the clearest language. They make it complicated, but the end result is basically saying it's true. The big lie is true. The former president, Trump, thinks that he won the 2020 election. It's a bizarre argument to make. And I suspect, and I'm just guessing, but I suspect that Trump pushed them to make it because you'll remember that Trump's first lawyers for the impeachment trial, the first five lawyers, all resigned. And it was publicly reported that those lawyers didn't want to argue the big lie, that the 2020 election was stolen from Trump. What's really interesting about this argument to me, Preet, is that Well, there's a couple of points. The first is, it doesn't matter for the purposes of whether or not Trump incited an insurrection, whether or not he believed that he won the 2020 election. So it's a really odd argument because it doesn't, even if he believed it was true, that's actually, in some ways, evidence for the House managers. And it's evidence for the House managers because it it sets out his motive to do what he did and to say what he said. He believed he won, and so he was out there trying to stop the Electoral College from those votes from being counted. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, they will argue again and again and again 
And it's their best argument, to be fair, that if you parse the precise language of the president on January 6th and on other occasions, sure, he said fight. He said you got to fight. And they'll say that's figurative language and Democrats have used that language in the past and it's what people say in campaigns. Obviously, the context here is totally different. And they will say he used the phrase, you know, peacefully and patriotically make your voice be heard. If I were Trump's lawyers, I'd be saying that again and again and again and again. It's kind of a throwaway line that I think he articulated because, you know, somebody on his staff inserted it into his remarks. But, you know, there's an argument to be made there. But the bottom line, I think, is articulated very, very well in the House manager's first brief. And that is, he wasn't just engaging in speech. He wasn't just talking. He was asking them to do something, right? And he was asking them to do something where? At the Capitol. And when? On January 6th. And what was going on at the time where they were going to be to be fighting? The counting of the votes. And on occasion after occasion, including with officials in Michigan, including with officials in Georgia, including with his own vice president, he was telling them to do something. And the thing he was telling those people to do in every single circumstance was overturn the result of the election, right? So by the way, that's speech too. And he's telling them to overturn the results of the election. When you take in the full context, he's asking these people not to just sort of protest and make their voices heard for no particular reason, but to change the result of the election. And then, of course, his reaction afterwards, I think, goes to his state of mind at the time he's making the statements and the comments on January 6th, he seemed to be joyful. And I think that's further evidence, if you can bring it in and have proof of it, that he intended for them to do what they were doing. It stands to reason that if you're happy about somebody doing something, that you wanted them to do the thing they're doing. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I, I, I agree with you. I think the best defense that Trump's lawyers can make is to argue his just to really narrow in on this statement at the January 6th rally about fight that he didn't mean it as really fight. Those words are used by politicians all the time to say, look, we've got to fight the other party. We've got to fight for our rights. It's sort of part of of normal conversation in some ways. That's an important part of their argument. I think another part of their argument we may see is that the rioters breached some of the Capitol barricades as Trump was still speaking. And so I think his lawyers are going to argue, look, this was about them doing something they wanted to do. It had nothing to do with Donald Trump. Again, I think that fails for, for all the reasons and all the evidence that you've just talked about. But I think that defense, which is that he's allowed as president of the United States under the First Amendment to stand up there and to say whatever he wants to say, that the Democrats are bad, that that he thinks he won the election, that's his right under the First Amendment. So that's going to be their argument. I, I want to note two, two additional things before we, we get to the First Amendment piece, which is that one of the things Trump lawyers Trump's lawyers have done, and I think this was a huge mistake on their part, and I would be very curious to know what you think about it, but they decide that they need to offer an explanation for what Trump was talking about on January 6th. So they don't want to go in and say, yeah, he told him to fight like hell and go to the Capitol, but he didn't really mean it. So instead they say he was talking about election security. He is very worried about the security of elections in the United States and the way that some states change their laws related to COVID. And what's remarkable about that to me is that the next, well, first of all, what you say, where he was saying it, he was saying it less than two miles from the United States Capitol, when at the exact time that the votes for the electors were supposed to be certified. And 
Last but not least, and I think it's a really important point, when is the next major federal election? 2022. It's not January 6th. And so I think that the House managers have to really just pick apart this defense because on its face, especially when you look at Trump's conduct from November through January, it is simply not plausible that he was out there waving the flag for election security. That's not what this was about. This was about him trying to overturn the results of the election. I want to follow up on something that you alluded to a second ago because I think it's important. I mean, that's this argument that they make fairly, you know, assertively, the Trump lawyers, that a lot of these people who came to the Capitol on January 6th already had in mind storming the Capitol, perhaps in case of violence. Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. Interested students with a valid.edu email can head to cafe.com slash student. To the many of you who have chosen to join the Insider community, thank you for supporting our work. <laughs>